In this episode, we're talking to my good friend and amazing video storyteller, Media Musavi, a realtor with the agency in downtown LA. Here's what's fascinating about Media. A few years ago, he sold all of his belongings and left his life behind in Rancho Cucamonga to start over in downtown LA. He left a thriving mortgage business making well over six figures and started slinging real estate in a brand new market and a competitive market at that. And he gave himself one year to make it big or go bust. And, well, he's made it all right. From selling to luxury buyers with $6 million budgets to first-time buyers purchasing a $600,000 condo, Medi has proven that he's adaptable and relatable. He's building a personal brand. He tells powerful stories through video. And he knows his market and the players in it better than most. He's essentially building trust assets, which is something we talk about often. And he's planting the seeds for an explosive real estate career. That's coming up. Before we jump into the episode, just a friendly reminder that if you get value out of this episode or this podcast, please head on over to ricardobueno.com forward slash share to share this episode with a friend or a colleague. Refer five people and get instant access to my Facebook ads masterclass where you can instantly download my playbook and ad swipe file to see all of the ads that are converting for our top clients today. Again, that's ricardobueno.com forward slash share. Let's go. Welcome to the Weekly Boost. My name is Ricardo Bueno, and I'm a 10-year veteran of the real estate industry. And this podcast is dedicated to taking an honest look at the reality of marketing and growing your real estate business. My guess is you want to close more deals, whether it's working with buyers or sellers. But it's not as easy as some people, like bullshit marketers, would have you believe. I spend my day consulting with some of the best agents in the industry, which basically means I have a front row seat to the behind the scenes of world-class marketing campaigns and listing strategies, and I'm here to unveil some of those strategies and tactics with you. Listen in as I share what's good in real estate and the world of marketing. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode. Today, I'm joined by somebody I've known in the game for, gosh, I don't know. Time flies, Media. How long have we known each other? Three, Ooh. four, five years? I would say five years when we met in Chicago at the House of Blues. During the, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what conferences are like anymore. I don't Maybe know what either. bars are like. <laughs> I could show you what bars are like. <laughs> but, dude, welcome to the show. Tell everybody who you are, where you sell, and um, how long you've been in the game. Thank you for having me on the show, brother. My name is Media Musavi. I work at the agency. I've been in the real estate game, both on the lending and real estate side for about five, six years now. And I work at the Pasadena office of the agency. I sell everywhere from Pasadena to the west side, but we don't discriminate. Time flies, man. Time does fly. Time does fly. If there's one, one of the most valuable commodities in this world now, I realize that, and I'm sure a lot of us do as you get older, is time. And the uh, it's, uh, the older the uh, older we're getting, and I hate saying that, the older we're getting, the more I'm okay paying for people to do things for me so I can buy back my time. Yep, I absolutely agree. It's the one thing you can't get back, and you realize the ultimate luxury in life is time. When people say, is the ultimate success in life having money? I said, money is a means to give you the freedom to have the time to do what you want and to give you that time. So it's uh, that's what we're all striving for, time. Right on. So listen, the reason I wanted you on the show is that we're going to cover a couple of different things. But one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because I think your story is pretty fascinating. 
I think that in you know the five years that you've invested into building your real estate career, you've grown just you. The growth I've seen in you has been amazing. So first of all, congratulations because it's not easy. You. <laughs> we might <It's> <laughs> you might make it look easy, but there's a lot of work that goes into that, and I recognize that. So congratulations and good Thank for you. you I'm really proud of, of the business. Definitely, it's not easy. You just see the highlight reel as well. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly what it is. But so I want to start at the beginning. You had your start in in lending. So you started in lending, but a, a few years ago, you sold all your belongings. I forget where you were. Was it Rancho Cucamonga? Yeah. You sold all of your stuff in Rancho Cucamonga to move to downtown LA. And you said to yourself, I'm going to give myself a deadline. I'm either going to make it selling real estate in downtown LA, or I'm going to crash and I'm going to move back. Pretty much. And, and here you are selling luxury real estate. <laughs> I'm sure that that seems like you said, we see the highlight reel, but there's a whole oh, lot yeah. of, I'm sure the entrepreneurial roller coaster that went into that. Definitely. And it still is day in and day out. You know? <laughs> there's nothing that uh, you're never on cruise control in this business. And if you want to grow, you have to constantly get used to that. So let's talk about that. Why the move to downtown LA? Why'd you leave everything behind in Rancho? And were you doing loans at the time or did you decide you wanted to get into real estate? Was that before or after? So I was on the lending side, both in Rancho as well as the first year when I moved to downtown. What it was for me, I was out there about eight years and I mm -hmm. thought that's home. That's where I'm going to end up staying. You, I just didn't know anything else and I was comfortable. But what happened was I started doing a couple of deals out in LA. And as I started going out to downtown, the West side, there was something about it out there that one was the network, the vibrancy, the life, the opportunity more than anything. It's a, a different culture people, for sure. Yeah, different culture. And one thing I, I could tell you now, which I had heard back then is your network is very important. The environment you're in is very important. Mm -hmm. And LA, a lot of people are like, are you crazy? It's very competitive, but you could look at it two ways. It's very competitive, but there's also a lot of opportunity and there's plenty of opportunity out there for anyone. If, if so, you're building your network. If you're building your network, yeah. And going out there, there was a calling, a feeling that I belong out there. And I knew if I wanted to get to where I wanted to be, I needed to be in the middle of that madness. Simple as that, where <laughs> all the opportunity. Really, I had to be in the belly of the beast. It's, uh, it happened pretty quickly. After the second or third deal I closed there, I remember I went back and I said, you know what? I'm going to just basically put my house up for sale, <laughs> get rid of everything, and I'm going to move out there. And I did it pretty quickly. And thought what? It was a very simple move. You just, within five months, you decided that and you made it happen. And I said, well, if I didn't pull that Band-Aid and I had more time to think about it, I probably wouldn't have done it. But probably wouldn't have I done knew it, it was no. something more. And I knew that what is what is there to lose? You use everything to gain. Worst case, you come back with your tail between your legs and you go back to Rancho or wherever it may be. But I didn't really <laughs> give myself that option. Like, yeah, I gave I gave myself a deadline. I said, within two years, you're going to build up your network. You're going to build relationships and you're going to make it in the LA market. And it was something that I calculated as a worthy risk. And it did make sense, but there was a couple of switches during that time that I think what that move did was more show me that fear is something we make up in our head. And if you mm -hmm. don't, the real risk is not taking that risk. So when I moved to LA, it was, what, what are you so scared about? And I was like, what if I sell my house and at, I come out here and I use all the money and I don't make it and what's going to happen? And we create we, all of these. We give ourselves these head. really short glass ceilings. Yeah. And we, we, create, we these... make these up in our head. A lot of the problems that we have are made up in our head. They don't actually happen. We just, we create them and it's just human nature. So went out there and I was on the lending side still for the first year. Yeah. But one thing 
I started realizing is the network I was in now and the relationships I'm building, these people and just the price points in LA, they're purchasing homes that are 1 million, 2 million, 3 million. And traditionally, you can't really do the, do the financing for that. A lot of the banks handle the financing once it gets to the higher price points. They're, they're managing their portfolios. Yep. Yeah, portfolios yep. or yeah, basically that's what they are. And so the banks traditionally run that side of it. And if not, it's not that brokers can't do it, but they can't be as competitive. You got a bank yep. two and a half percent on a $6 million loan. What are you going to do? So <laughs> one, it was, okay, all the networks and relationships I'm building is not going to ever convert into business on the lending side. It wasn't just that. There was a part of me that wanted to go to the real estate side just because it's more external, whereas uh, lending, I feel, is internal. You're a lot more yeah. in the office, there's a lot more paperwork. Stuck uh, behind a desk. Estate, it's, we're out meeting people every day. It's related yeah. it's dealing a lot more with people rather than the internal problems. And it was more my personality, but I felt, look, man, you took two, three years to build up your lending career to the point where now you're making a few hundred and a year, and now you're going to just stop that and go to a whole other <laughs> field. How many people told you you were crazy? Everybody. Yeah, it's absurd, but I'm like, these are the same people that told me it was absurd to come out to LA. And I think taking that jump from selling off my home, moving to LA and just getting rid of all of those beliefs and chains that we create that hold us back. The same thing when I was going to make the jump into the real estate side, I said, what are you scared of? I'm already <laughs> in that mentality that there's nothing to be scared of. Take that risk and we'll see what happens. And of course, I'm not saying just roll the dice. Obviously there's risk in anything you do, but at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but you went a hundred percent all in. You're like, let's go. Yeah. The way I looked at it, is I'm taking two steps back now to take five steps forward in the future. But you really have to believe that you're going to take those steps forward because in the beginning, it's mentally discouraging when you're like, oh, yeah. I just went from doing loans to now I'm not making anything. And now I'm <laughs> like, oh, wow, we're starting all over again. But I truly believe that everything I've always done in regards to building relationships, building that network and really hitting it day in and day out with everything you got, I knew that I would, I would succeed. And we've just started to get there now. <laughs> so a lot of agents who listen to this show are either working a farm or some are brand new to the business and they're, they know they need listings, but where do I start? You moved to an entirely different city. So how did you start? I know that you started building and cultivating a network, but did you do any of that other stuff? Did you start farming a specific area? Did you start doing paid ad spend? How did you start? So not off the bat, when I moved to downtown, it was a whole different world in reality. I didn't yeah. know anybody over there. So the first step was how can I build relationships? How can I build my mm -hmm. network here? How can I meet people? Simple as that. Because again, the relationships you build now, they're not going to turn into deals. I don't believe in hard selling necessarily in, I believe relationships get you a lot farther down the line and create more business and genuine relate a genuine business because you're building, trying to find the next transaction. Yeah. And, but here's the thing, there's a place for both of it. So for me, I said, okay, I'm in downtown. I started a like lifestyle community type page called DTLA Insider. It was basically, it's a long, it was a long game, but there were two things that that did one. It a lot. Explain what that is. So DTLA Insider basically is a page that, that covers everything downtown has to offer from the businesses, mm -hmm. to the restaurants, to events, things like that nature. And what I started doing was reaching out to a lot of these local businesses and restaurants, and we would do video segments, five to 10 minutes, where we would interview the owner, highlight what the establishment has to offer, et cetera, et cetera. And we grew that page over two years to about 18, 19,000 followers. That's about, wild. You know, and it, well, more importantly, what it did was it allowed me to create a relationship with some of the movers and shakers in downtown, the business owners. And it's funny because I never really mentioned anything that had to do with real estate on the show or even 
to these subjects to the real to the restaurant owner business owner it came about you, you, ne- you never said here's my card nope call me if you need it because anything. it's uh, it's not genuine then you're doing this for the purpose not of, totally you know turning it to business and i don't believe in that but a couple years down the line these restaurant owners are like wait we saw your personal page and we see you're a realtor uh, you know, <laughs> and now those relationships have led into business and was, was it hard to bite your tongue yeah of course yeah. <laughs> i don't want to say it's your only intention is to get business in here, but again, if you're building a relationship that's based on a solid foundation and it's genuine you can't go right off the bat and try to sell and say hey we're gonna film your restaurant but by the way if you want to buy a house i'm your guy so i know some people will say but wait a minute if you weren't telling them you sell real estate and you weren't saying here's my business card they're gonna say, well, how much did you invest in shooting those videos? And why would you do that? Because again, it's a long game. It's relationship-based. For example, a lot of the people that I'm doing deals with now were people I met two or three years ago when I moved to downtown. You know, That's the day awesome. you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. And that's something I firmly and truly believe in. It's different than cold calling and direct sales, but it's a very indirect approach. It's a very long approach. And it's scary because you're investing a lot of money. And I had invested, I think, 25000 at that point in doing videos before that's wild. it turned into anything, even between running some ads on Insider, just making those relationships. But then all of a sudden in one deal, it wiped that completely out. And then we got five <laughs> or six deals just from people I met on Insider. You remember the first deal you did? I do. Yeah. Just for that. It was one of the restaurant owners. I'm not going to say the name, but uh, how long ago from when you started the page and shot your first video and spent your first dollar? About two years. That's awesome. About a uh, year and eight months or year year nine months, yeah. And we just closed another one last week from a Instagram live we did on DTLA Insider, which was just educating and informing our audience on how they could purchase a home. I realized there was a lot of misconceptions that people thought you need two, three hundred grand to purchase a home or twenty percent down. And a friend of mine who runs Life Hacks LA, mm-hmm. another person I met along the way in my network, did a live, and I had about twenty different people reach out to my personal. Two weeks later, we're in escrow on one that we just closed a couple of days ago. So it's it's the power of network, the power of relationships, but you're not going to right off the bat go and build that relationship with everyone because you have to gain their trust. You have to create a solid foundation. And if you're going to go and sell off the bat and say, by the way, this is also what I do, it, it's not a genuine approach and it's very obvious what you're trying to do. You you have commission breath if that's what you do. Yeah, it is. You yeah. know? And again, now's you know, a great time to buy. And there, again, there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing, if you're cold calling. I still cold call like you said my farm area i'll cold call there's a purpose for that i try to look in a market like this where there's no inventory i will call on a farm on my farm and try to find my clients properties and so you don't not do the traditional stuff no and it's funny because we were talking to my office manager gus the other day about it there are people that i feel again here's the thing everybody has something that works for them for some people it's social media for some people it's door knocking for some people it's cold calling and there's no right or wrong it's what's right or wrong for you but i think there's also people that feel that a certain task is beneath them or that they're above yeah. that and unless you're selling 100 million dollars a year which don't get me wrong i know people selling that much and they're still cold calling so yeah it goes to tell you something is it difficult yes but i do still do it not only just to try to prospect and to get deals but to keep myself sharp and humble because you get cussed out and hung up on a thousand times and get it. You ain't shit. That's exactly what happens. So I think it's good to. It can be hard, man. On the ear and feet on the pulse and to do those activities because then when you delegate those, like right now I'm in the, in the mode where I'm trying to hire people, then you'll know how to actually convey this is how you do the job. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how, this is what you're supposed to look for. This is how you respond, things like that. So I. You'll know how to level them up faster. Yeah, 100%. I don't think you can hire somebody to do something if you haven't done it yourself or know what it takes to do that. I just, I'm a firm believer in that. So you, you, this sounds like an obvious uh, answer maybe, 
but you obviously study the market every day. Yeah, definitely. And especially, you know, what I learned in the beginning, you can't be a master and jack of all trades because if you do, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot to know. If you focus on a specific area like Northeast LA, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Every day I look to see what properties are hitting the market, what's out there, what's sold, because you can have a client that calls a lot of the time, especially when you're cold calling, they're going to say there was this house up on this street. And if you don't know what they're talking about right there, especially when you're in a higher end market, you'll lose that credibility. And they can credit. tell that you don't know. hundred percent. You're not, again, you're not selling these people. What you're doing is selling yourself and your knowledge. And these people already know, do you have that or not? You're not going to force this in, especially people that <laughs> you know own five, six billion dollar property. There's a reason they got there. And you know, they know their craft, they know their game. So it's not about selling. It's about you really knowing and being credible. So that takes constant knowledge. Do you have, cause you mentioned this a second ago, or do you have people now who are in a position where they want they're maybe thinking of selling, but they haven't because they can't find that inventory of, of where they're going to move next. I am seeing a bit of that now. Market is difficult if you're working with a lot of buyers right now because the inventory is yeah. out there. And even more so, I actually have two clients that they want to sell their home and buy a home, but there's a fine line. What do we do? We got to list the house and then you may not find a home for three or four months with all the offers right. out there, especially at sub million price points. The market's very competitive. So yep. uh, what I feel that and what I do is I pull some data for a certain farm. I'll reach out to title. I'll get the phone numbers, emails. I'll do email blast to that entire community. I have a client that's looking to purchase. I will make phone calls, which I feel are more effective than email, even though email people open email and text a lot more, but creating yeah. again, that relationship and that rapport and actually speaking to somebody. And there's a sense of gratification that you're really going out there and hunting and working for your clients. And again, there's a benefit to it is that you may get a listing and the buy side on that. So yeah. again, it's difficult, it's tedious, but no, there's nothing that I won't do to get that done because there's no inventory up there. So do you want to, do you want to get paid? Do you want to get a deal? Do you want to get this done for your client? Then you're not going to sit there and wait for a pro uh, property to pop up. Oh, there just it is. Say, oh, oh, there's what? nothing on the market. Yeah. There's a hundred other people that are doing that. I mean, I a couple of properties that two weeks ago that I was trying to get showings for, they already had 60 showings in the first day and they said, no, that's so, wild, so man. Even if you do find the property going up against that, it's difficult. So. I think going out there, sourcing, hunting, finding that inventory is uh, what you need to do. And that's what I'm trying to do in today's market. Finding ways to stay creative about it. Yeah. And it keeps you sharp. It keeps you on your toes. Like I said, try to getting hung up on yelled at everything. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast is served. Type of client. You work with a more affluent or luxury type client. Was that always the case? No. And I wouldn't say or it necessarily is the case. Again, we had this conversation with a coworker yesterday, who is your ideal client and not your ideal price point. Who's your ideal client? Because that tells a lot about you and your personality. Yep. Again, you do. That's a really good way to phrase it, by the way. Yeah. You do see the highlight reel. Here's the thing. People don't like, no offense. And no, there's nothing wrong with a two, $300,000 house, but people don't want to see that versus a $6 million house. It's just, yeah. you know, it's visual food fodder. It is yeah, no, it is. totally. But no, high-end agents on the West side, even people on million dollar listing, you see those $40 million uh, houses, but believe it or not, a lot of their average price points are also between one and 2 million. You don't know that, mm. you don't see that, but that is the case. It's nice to have those big ones. And I think for me, what, what works for me is versatility. I can work with affluent and high-end clients very easily as much as I can with a client that's looking for a $300,000 $300, condo in Riverside. And it's that adaptability, but it has to be 
on a genuine approach. You can't pretend that you're building rapport with these people. Can force it. No, you can't because again, people will smell that and it's obvious. And I'm not, I'm a firm believer in not selling. Just create that relationship. Hey, if you don't like me, more power to you. Next person. You can't work with everyone and you don't want to work with everybody either. That could uh, potentially lead to problems too. (laughs) But no, I I have a wide range. Like right now I'm working with a couple of clients that are looking in the six to 10 million. We're hoping to close one of those next week. But at the same time, it's funny because in the same day last week when I had an inspection on this six and a half million dollar home, I found myself in the $350,000 home five hours later (laughs) showing my client property. And I think it's important to test those waters. And here's the thing, if you're in Beverly Hills and every listing you have is five to 10 million, I don't wanna say it's not worth it for you to do a $300,000 home, but your time is more valuable. It's spent more valuably focusing just on that farm and market. For me, I think my average clientele is a millennial first time home buyer purchasing Mm -hmm. anywhere between that 800 and 2 mil range. And again, I relate with those people. It's very easy working with those people uh, compared to some of the affluent, believe it or not. But uh, (laughs) no, those are, that's my bread and butter. Those are my people. I relate with them. And I know that this generation, it's funny because three years ago, they said millennials are not buying home. Whereas the majority (laughs) of purchasers last year were millennial first time home buyers, but it's a different process. They don't want to be told. They want to be informed and involved with the process. And I get it. It's very exciting being part of that process for the first time and handing over those keys and saying, welcome home. So yeah, I do work with some affluent people. Again, it's not the majority of my business, but it's, it's the highlight reel. People want to see that. Yeah. But I'm starting to dabble in that market and it's starting to happen. Now there's a few of those and it's uh, we'll see where it takes us. So, so you did this exercise. Did, did you do an exercise or was it just the way that the question was framed to you? Who's your ideal client instead of getting caught or hung up on price point and thinking about what relatability do you have or the way I see sales is you always try to, you should always try to find a way to be relatable to the other person. 100%. Again, on a genuine level, be relatable. Right. You walk into somebody's house and you look around and you're like, okay, this guy has cigars and <laughs> the dog and you're going to pretend that you like those things. And it's obvious that you don't know jack about it. <laughs> That's not going to work too well for you. You know, and again, there's plenty of people out there. That means plenty of opportunity for you to connect with yep. some of them. And yeah, can you work with everyone? Yeah. Do you want to? Not necessarily. It's sometimes compatibility isn't there, the relationship isn't there, and that could lead to problems down the line, like I said. So for me, it was the way the question was framed was more so what in terms of metrics are your goals this year? So do you want to close 20 million, 30 million? And then I looked at it and I said, okay, the goal was 25, but realistically by the end of two weeks, I'm probably going to be at about nine and a half. So it's not it's not what you want to close. Then it came down to how many units do you want to close? So it was the same way because that doesn't count. You get one big seven, $8 million deal. I feel like <laughs> that'll skew the scale, but you have to take that. You have to weight that with that, with a different, uh, with a different score. So the same thing goes with who's your ideal clientele. It's not a dollar amount. It's a personality. So who do you relate to? Who do you like to work? And again, that could be a lower price point, but a lower price point and having a easier process and building a relationship and rapport is easier than dealing. Then this job is fun and you can move on without the stress of. Yeah, exactly. So again, just like anything else in life, it has its pros and cons, both ends of it, like higher price point, bigger commission, but you'll deal (laughs) with a different set of uh, problems. Whereas on this side, you won't. So let's pivot really quick. You talked about Downtown LA Insider, the videos you were shooting and how you've obviously built that brand and it's been a good long-term play. You have, we sat down once, we sat down once and we're talking about just your ability to storyboard a video. Mm -hmm. 
You're ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so I think that video is something, whether the pandemic accelerated it or not, people, consumers want access to information quickly and easily. Yep. I want to be able to find information online. I want to be able to see the home online. I want to be able to tour the home online. I think that video can be a very powerful mechanism for that. Definitely. I think that video is also great for marketing at the top of the funnel because you can take a video and advertise it for pennies on the dollar yep. to a cold audience to warm them up. Yep. There's so many different use cases for video, but there's these, let's say these low effort videos. And then there's the kind of stuff that you do where you actually tell the story of the home, the community, the lifestyle. How do you make that magic happen? One, you have to start somewhere because in the beginning, <laughs> I was guilty of that as well. I think. For businesses today, the most valuable commodity for business is attention. And especially mm -hmm. in a environment where we have content being thrown at us left, right, left. So mm -hmm. why should somebody pay attention to your content? What makes it so special? And again, in the beginning, I was guilty of, I'm going to do a video just to do a video. But when you think about a story, there's the, the primary purpose of a story is to evoke emotion. And we are humans, we are emotional beings. So mm -hmm. the whole point of a story is, first off, the story has to have a, a objective, a purpose. You're not doing videos just to do videos. I, like I said, I've been there, I've done that. And then it was like, okay, you did a video, you're happy about it, you post it, you got the views <laughs> and likes. You but, checked the box. Yeah, but what did this do for you besides you being able to say, I did a video? And that comes with trial and tribulation. You learn as you go that the whole point of, creating a video and showing your audience a video is to tell them a story is to make them feel something is to show them something and put them in the same place that you want that emotion to evoke. For example, if it, let's look at movies, if it was just words on the screen, what, how different would that be versus us actually being able to see that story and feel the emotions and putting ourselves in that position where that emotion actually happened to us. So yeah. there's a, there's a difference with being able to convey these emotions and just telling people because if that it's fact so again a video has to be able to evoke an emotion to people where hey this is why i'm telling the story this is the emotion that i felt with it this is what i went through and because of this that because of that this and because of all of those this is where we are now so there's a there's a story flow to it there's an actual process to telling a story now do we storyboard everything out now no i think in the beginning it was like okay Here's our objective. Here are the characters. Here's the message that we're trying to convey. Here are one out of the six human emotions that we're trying to appeal to. And how can we effectively do that? And more importantly, differentiate from all of the other content out there. You know, for example, home videos, they got to a point where a lot of them are monotonous. It's the same old thing over and over again. Yeah. And then I remember watching the Tim Smiths and people that were doing real creative videos and they weren't just videos, they were movies. They were telling a story and without telling you everything. Packed into 60, 90 second clips. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that if you have to tell somebody something in the video, if you have to tell your audience why you're doing something and what this video is about, that you're not doing it correctly. You can have no words at all in a video, just visual, just have everything on there visually, but have them feel something. and have them connect with it. And if you do that properly, I think for any brand, for any individual, I think that's the best way to be able to gain a real following and people will genuinely gravitate towards that. Not this everyone, isn't, but your people. This isn't a real estate specific video that I'm going to reference, but I thought you did such a good job with it. But do you remember the one that you did for, what is it? Orange, Orange Theory? Yes. Yes. With uh, Jacob. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can you describe what that process was like? So rather than shooting a promo video for Orange Theory, how did you storyboard that to convey a message and a lifestyle and opportunity? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So that <laughs> one was shot with one of my two guys. So it's funny. I use the two J's, Jacob Wizar and uh, Johnny Zambrana. Those are my, uh, those are my go-tos when it comes to content. That specific video, it was via DTLA Insider. Orange Theory had just opened in downtown. And again, the way I looked at it is Orange Theory is a huge national brand. It would be very mm -hmm. nice to be one, given the permission and given the opportunity to showcase Orange Theory, because that'll, it's not just, you're not just showing the downtown Orange Theory at that point. Now you're on a national scale if you do the right job. Now, when it comes to downtown and a gym is a gym, Orange Theory is another gym. So how can you mm -hmm. do that very differently? And how could you evoke an emotion that this is the gym that people are supposed to go to? So we backtracked and I, I reverse engineer. I always look at who is the end user? Who's your, what is your objective? Who's your target? Now, what is your target? What are their, what's their criteria? What are their wants? Mm -hmm. What are their desires? So when you think about downtown, the whole downtown culture is being able to walk, uh, walk mm -hmm. wherever you want. You have accessibility to everything right downstairs. And if a lot of your friends live down there, that's also a big part of the appeal. So we thought about, okay, who's going to go to this gym? people that only live in downtown people are not coming from outside of downtown no. to come into that hellhole and you know all that, deal with that parking, no. go to orange theory so yeah. first off the end user were, were downtown residents so let's show three different three different people and we used that uh, we used ladies in this one obviously because nobody wants to be <laughs> in orange theory. although there would have been a purpose to do that too because you don't want to uh, appeal to one demographic right. group but we thought okay visually who's gonna who's this gonna appeal to so let's have some ladies in there and we showed three different women waking up in three different buildings in downtown. And then all three of them basically doing their morning routine, getting coffee, coming down and meeting on the street. Because again, that's downtown culture. It's the fact that, hey, what are you doing? I'll be there in one minute. They met up, they walked down the street and there's Orange Theory. And it started again, the video flow on this one was this and we ramped it up completely as things went, just like your day starts a little bit slower and then it ramps up. Then they went in, they did that intense workout, which that appeals to everybody. We added a actual live session in there as well. But the whole emotion we were trying to, or objective we were trying to convey with that, which we did, and it worked very well was, this is a downtown gym for downtown people who love the downtown lifestyle. And it was simple as that. And that's why we, we didn't show people coming from out of town. We showed people from within downtown and how accessible this gym was, how easy it is just to go down there. And then afterwards you can go out with your friends and uh, have a coffee or for me, a cocktail, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you, and you do the same thing. I know we're talking orange theater, but you do the same thing when you're showcasing a house. With home videos, again, it's become very difficult to differentiate between home videos. And the thing is, I don't believe in just showing a home. Uh, every home yeah. has a story. When you're selling a home, yeah. it's you're selling a story. You're selling a lifestyle. You're not selling the home. So you have to reverse engineer and see who is who would purchase this house. Is it a Hollywood Hills mansion bachelor pad? Okay, so you're not going to market to somebody with five kids, you know, that <laughs> so you have to, first you have to know who your object who that final objective is, you yeah. know, and what is the purpose. So from there you reverse engineer and you market the home to evoke that emotion of that lifestyle. This is what it's going to feel like if you live in this home. This is the type of person that lives in this home. What would your normal day be like? For example, we did a video with a couple of our colleagues for a listing they had in downtown. It was a penthouse in the Luma building for three and a half million with uh, Arrington and Greg. And that video, they asked us to do a video. And again, there was there were no words in the video. It was just basically it showed a day in the life of we took I use the subject that lives in that penthouse It's yeah. a single woman of affluence. We'll just put it that way. And so what would her normal day be like? So we shaped it around that person because that is maybe somebody that would purchase it. If not, it would be 
a couple or a bachelor. So show what that life would feel like, a day in that life. They're gonna get up, they're not gonna run away, right away go and okay, the kids are there and feed them. They're gonna wake <laughs> up the shade, they're gonna come up, you're gonna have your coffee, you're gonna lounge on your balcony with your laptop, you're gonna call your friends, you're gonna go downstairs and you're gonna go to LA Live. We incorporate all of that shopping. So again, you have to make somebody feel, this is what it would feel like to live in that home. If not, they're not buying just the home, they're buying the lifestyle. And especially in areas like downtown West Hollywood, they're buying the dream. And so you have to make them feel like this is what it will feel like living in this home. You're not just buying a home. They're buying the culture, they're buying the community, all that. Yeah. So that's how I try to shape these real estate videos as well. It's uh, some of them, like I said, they have no words. Some of them do if we're trying to just tell people what this place <laughs> is about, but a lot of it comes down to this is what it would feel like living here. So take a look. <laughs> so what's your advice to somebody aside from hiring your crew? <laughs> what's your advice <laughs> to somebody? <laughs> What's your advice to somebody who like, what sort of questions do you ask or what sort of red flags do you look out for when you're hiring a videographer for the first time? Again, I've been blessed and fortunate to use the same guys and we've evolved mm -hmm. together. Again, this is the videos we did in the beginning. We didn't storyboard. We would go there and be like, okay, this is what we want and let's shoot it. But again, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. So the most important mm -hmm. thing of the video is prepare. Who is, what is the purpose of this video? What is the objective? What emotion are you trying to convey? And to who are you trying to convey this to? Have those in place. From there, a lot of it will fall into place. But if not, you're going to go show up. And Be armed with that to give to your photographer or to your video. Yeah, we, video we set that all up. And it's funny, like now we're at a point with some videos, we don't have to storyboard it. With some, we go over there and we take a look around and we have those in mind. Like, who is this video intended towards? If it's intended towards a bachelor, again, we're not going to show the baby room or something of that nature. Yeah. You know? And we're going to show more of the hip young lifestyle that this home could, could convey. A 40 year. Yeah. yeah. But no, first thing is to get started. We're all scared of getting on camera. First of all, we're all scared of what are people going to think about me? I look at some of the videos we did in the beginning. I'm like, Oh God, but <laughs> if I didn't do those, it wouldn't force me to take a step back and actually prepare. And it wouldn't force us to evolve. And a lot of it is also studying what other people are doing, but staying true and authentic to your style as well. It's, it's difficult to do so with property videos, but again, the more you shoot them, the more you develop a style too. Exactly. And my advice would be again, prepare, have the, who's your objective, who's your target, what emotion are you trying to convey and what's the purpose of this video? Those are the main things. Go in there with that and that alone will help you. And two, don't be afraid to try new things when it comes to content. There's a lot of content out there. I mean, look at people like Gary Vee. If you look at his videos four mm -hmm. or five years ago versus where he is now, do you not think he's evolved? You can tell that he has, but if he didn't no, do that, he wouldn't get to where he is today. You're not just gonna all of a sudden start here with amazing videos. And not all of them are gonna be a hit, but- Try, try a lot of things until you find what works for you and what sticks. Exactly. And then you'll figure out what your style is too. What's your advice for somebody this year, 2021? We're 30 days in, a little over 30 days in. I'm shocked. I don't know where January no, don't, went. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> it goes slow and fast at times. It's one out of 12 is down, bro. One out of 12 is down. We're going to talk again and it's going to be like two months left in I the know, year. We're going to have two kids. Gosh. What's your advice to somebody who's looking to have a better year than they did last? So I would say focus on what works for you. Again, mm -hmm. there are so many different ways to make it. Here's success. Here's where you are. There's no straight line. There are a million ways no. to get to where it is. What works for you and what works for somebody else may not necessarily work for you. Find what it is that works for you. Don't take everybody's advice as Bible. Yeah. And don't, we're in a, we live in a culture where we go online, oh, this guy's doing this. So I got to try this because this, maybe this will work for me. Try it. But I would say 
also stick with what's tried and true for you. So again, mm -hmm. if it's cold calling, if it's door knocking, if it's social, if it's videos, whatever it is, I would say double down on what works for you and don't spread yourself too thin by trying to do a little bit of everything. Because again, you're never gonna succeed at anything. You're gonna do a little bit of everything because you're doing too much and nothing is gonna actually progress. So for me, I actually had to take a step back too and there's certain things you have to cut out. You want to do them, but are they really getting you, are they really gonna get you to where you wanna be? If not, focus on what it is that is going to get you to where you want to be and what you're good at and what has what has shown it's successful for you and double yeah. down on that. Double down on that. You know? Awesome. And Maybe. again, explore new things, but I would say stay with what's tried and true, especially in a market like this where you don't know how long this opportunity will last. If you're going to try mm -hmm. new things, by the time that takes root, it could be a couple of years. And at that point, the market may potentially fizzle or flatten. And uh, you should have, at that point, stuck with what's tried and true. If it's yeah. phone calls, go at it. Media, thank you so much. Where can we find you online? You could find me at on my Instagram more than anywhere at mmusavi, M-O-U-S-A-V-Y, and at DTLA Insider. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank Thanks you for, for taking the time. On, I appreciate my you. My pleasure. Thanks, brother.